It's 5 o'clock in pirate country, and it's time to get pumped up with the P-Man. <laughs> hit the door and hit the road. 94.3 The Game is going to get you home, and the P-Man's not holding back. Yes! Yes! Pirates win! Pirates win! Bring on the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Holy mackerel! Oh, my goodness! The flagship station of the ECU Pirates. <laughs> The Wednesday edition of the Patrick Johnson Show here on 94.3 The Game. The P-Man is out today due to him calling the basketball game tonight. Speaking of the basketball game, that's what we'll be previewing here for you the first half of the show. And then we will talk a little bit about the NFL playoffs on the back end. I'm Philip Pilkington joining in for the word. Filling in for the P-Man, and I am being joined by my producer, Dom Kosolke, on the other side of the glass. Thanks for filling in for me today, Dom. How's it going? What's up, Philip? How are you doing? It's good. I'm glad to have you back. It's been a while since Dom has been on the PJ show. It's been since before before Christmas. It's been late November. I was gone for a while, and I just haven't been back on Patrick's show. I've been doing some Henry stuff, but nothing with Patrick. It's nice to be back on some sports talk. Yeah, it's good to have you back on sports talk. Yeah, I know. I know the politics side is not your forte, but uh, Michael Busimi has always got good things to say about the job you do. So, hey, at least you're killing it over on the politics side. He sure does. I'm glad. I'm glad he has good things to say. He means a lot. <laughs> All righty. So we are going to uh, be joined actually by Patrick. He's going to call us live during our second segment to talk um, Pirates uh, basketball. He's going to call us live from Williams Arena, Minji's Coliseum. Network, excuse me, network coverage for that. Sorry about that. We'll start at 6.30 right here on 94.3 The Game with Darren Vaught, the coach, Michael Perry, and uh, Joey Football will be your studio host doing his full Joey basketball. You know, he's been the Joey weatherman. He's been the Joey football. Now he's going to be Joey basketball. Dom, what can Joe not do? We've got to find something. You know how Bo Jackson, I don't know if you've ever seen the commercial because it was before our time, but they were like Bono's football, Bono's baseball, and they went through all these things, and then Gretzky skated up and went, now, because Bo didn't know hockey. What is the one thing we're going to find out that Joe doesn't know? I mean, we're still thinking about it. Joe just seems to be the man for everything. I, I know he's not. His favorite thing isn't basketball, but I, I still think he can be Joey basketball. I think he can't be Joey technology. I think that's that's his thing that he can't do. He was he was pretty good at setting up for football games, but I I'm with you there. I think he's he likes being the talking, the color guy. He likes being on the air more than he likes the technology aspect of it. Or technology. I think you know you know what you know, you're right. He was good at setting up. He's fine with technology. Technology doesn't like Joe. No, there was always some sort of some sort of problem, something with the speakers, some something with what airwave we're on, if it's going to be on live or not. It's just, something was always going on, but I was always there to try to back him up at the football games. And you were, and you did a wonderful job, so we thank you for it. So we are going to get into talking about this basketball game. East Carolina comes into this one 4-4 and in league play, 11-10 and overall. They'll be hosting the South Florida Bulls, as previously mentioned, who are 13-5 and on the season. They also come in at 6-1 and in league play, half a game behind Charlotte and FAU, who are first place. They are under first-year head coach. I might botch this, so I apologize if I do. Amir... Abir 
Raheem, I believe. He was at Kennesaw State the last four years. He had a 45-74 and 74 record there, which doesn't sound good, but he inherited a dumpster fire. They went just 1-28 and 28 in his first season, 5-19 and 19 in his second. He had a decent third season before taking them to the NCAA tournament just one year ago. Coach Swartz mentioned that on Inside Pirate Athletics on Monday night as well as gave us a scouting report on the South Florida Bulls. Yeah, and again, you know, we saw some players that he coached last year at Kennesaw State. We know how good of a ball club that was. And then now a couple guys that came over. So we know, uh, again, team that shoots the ball very, very well uh, from behind the arc. Great spacing on offense. Uh, Keyshawn Pryor, a five-man for them that really makes it difficult because he keeps the floor space, but he does so much more than just that. I mean, the way he plays, you look at the statistical categories that he is at the very top for them. I mean, that that's very versatile, so he causes a lot of problems for teams. Uh, Selton Miguel, what he does, scoring the basketball is their leading scorer. And then Youngblood uh, as a player. So right now, you look at the balance of their team scoring the basketball. They're the only team in the conference right now that's uh, top four offense and top four defense. And a a very interesting stat, every single one of their players in conference play is a positive assist to turnover. Every single one of them. They don't have one player in conference play that has more turnovers than assists. And that's a sign of, of a great ball club. The Pirates come into this one as three-and-a-half-point favorites. So the thing I want to focus on here, Dom, first is what Coach said there at the end about every player on the Bulls roster and league play having a positive assist-to-turnover ratio. That's good for them. The good thing for the Pirates is they pride themselves on defense and the ability to turn over the opponent. And when you have a team who is only turning the ball over about 10.5 times per game, if you can get under their skin early, create some live ball turnovers, get some fast break opportunities, I think that can play hugely into the Pirates' hand that they aren't a team that turns the ball over a lot because I'm hoping it can get them a little frustrated with each other. Yeah, I totally agree. ECU needs to get under their skin early getting on the ball very early we don't know what the starting lineup is because it seems like it's always different with the ECU Pirates but if we have Bobby Pettiford and Cam Hayes starting they need to put a lot of pressure on the ball early in the game like you said if we get some turnovers early in it then they won't really know how to respond with how they usually go without turning the ball over neither teams turn the ball over often so they could be having the same mindset with us but if we do get them rattled early we can get a big lead it seems like when we have the leads we go better towards the end of the game because ending games has not been our strong suit so I think we need that lead and we need to get them rattled early I agree this team hasn't been phenomenal playing from behind the South Florida Bulls come in having won five in a row having won 11 of their last 12 and when you look at a lot of their wins and you go back and you look at the score and when they scored they've had a lot of close wins but the opponent has been the one playing from behind, not the South Florida Bulls. Now, however, the one thing that will worry you if you're East Carolina, if you are forcing the South Florida Bulls to play from behind, they are a pretty good three-point shooting team, shooting about 35% on the season. They make eight and a half threes a game. That's not a lot, 
But when they're shooting at a good percentage, they can get hot, and that could worry you if you're East Carolina if you are playing ahead. However, you'd much rather be playing ahead and have to worry about that than be chasing when a team can extend that lead with a lot of three balls. But like I said, the Bulls haven't been coming from behind a lot. Not saying they can't, but this is a team who's had the lead and been able to maintain the lead, which is nerve-wracking if you're the Pirates. So I think that hot start can be important. Another thing that can be important is running them off that three-point line. East Carolina allowing opponents to shoot just 30% from downtown. That's second in the conference, only behind the Mustangs of SMU. And, you know, the interesting thing about tonight, we mentioned the Pirates, three-and-a-half-point favorites, which is a little weird considering South Florida comes in on a five-game win streak, having won 11 of their last 12 and being 6-1 and one in league play. But when you look at this, they do have a very impressive win at the FedEx form against the Memphis Tigers. But other than that, they've kind of played the bottom of the conference, right? So they lost to UAB. UAB's a solid program right now, only two losses in league play. But much like the Pirates, they've swept Temple. We know Temple's not very good. They beat Wichita State, who at the time was 0-4 in league play, much like the Pirates. They've beaten Rice, who's struggling. They beat UTSA, who's struggling. So my point in this is, and I'm not trying to take anything away from them, they've won the games they're supposed to win. However, I do not think this is an insurmountable... uh, What's the word I'm looking for? I I blanked. I apologize. An insurmountable task for the Pirates. This is one they can definitely win. If they do win, it'll be the first time in American Athletic Conference play. They've won three straight games. So I think there is a huge opportunity here for East Carolina tonight. I'm hoping the crowd's a little better than it was on Sunday, not blaming people. I know it was a huge, it's, it's tough on a Sunday night. Got to get the kids down, got to get lunches made for the next day, as well as the conference championship games being on for football. I think a lot of people are at home dual screening it. But with all that just being said, I'm still finding it a little bit surprising that the Pirates are favored in this game. What do you think, Dom? I'm right there with you. I do not know how we're favored because all of our games have been either tight games that we're trying to go down towards the end, like even against South Carolina, which they're a great team now. They're, what, 18-3 and three now? Almost beat them at the end. We had a couple possessions we could have won. Florida down towards the end of the, end of the game. So we have played teams tight, but in conference we're also playing teams that aren't as great tight, like we just went to overtime against Temple, which was a blessing that we went to overtime because we were down almost five points in the last two minutes and made a nice run to come back. But I do think in this game we do have to run them off the three-point line. Their leading scorer is Selton Miguel, shooting almost 43%, I think 42.7% from the three-point line. Just goes hand-in-hand with the defensive presence from our backcourt and Bobby Pettiford, Cam Hayes, when Caleb Account gets in the game, because he can be a a pesky defender at his height. Everyone needs to be on the ball as tight as possible, run them off the three-point line, take their game away, even though they're not shooting that many a game or making that many a game. If they're making their three-pointers, they're going to get the turnovers they want, and they're going to control the game if they start out hot making some threes. And I think running Selton Miguel, their leading scorer, and leading shooter from three off the three-point line will be a key to winning this game. Yeah, and if they do run them off the three-point line, naturally South Florida is going to try and work the ball inside, which I feel better about from the East Carolina side of things than I would have two weeks ago because 
we're finally seeing the front court depth that we've been calling for. And Sir Malonga has put himself in as that number three guy in the front court. Obviously, Ezra and BJ being the starters, but we needed that rotational piece. And now, Sear hasn't been scoring, but that's been okay. This is a team that prides themselves on defense. Now, I still would like to see a little more offense from the Pirates. I don't think they can keep surviving in these close, low-scoring games night in and night out, but for the sake of what we're talking about right now and stopping the South Florida Bulls, running them off that three-point line, you need that rim protector. And I think Sear Malonga has come on very good as a freshman with not a lot of experience here in these last couple weeks, truthfully being that rim protector. I would still like to see a little more Callum Richard, see if he can defend at the level of Sear and maybe bring a little bit more of that offensive presence. But I understand that my philosophy is not necessarily line up with Coach Schwartz, and that's why he's the guy getting paid, and he's the guy who is is making these decisions. But I, I really think, you know, depth in, in Coach, and I've brought this up before on this show, I brought it up on Igo's show, you know, the depth of this team has been the issue. It's not that they're, they don't have the, the leaders. And when I say leaders, I don't mean you know, leaders as in leaders of men, but leaders as in the best players on the court. But the depth's been an issue. And I think, Dom, and correct me if, if you think I'm wrong here, as, as you actually are more inclined with basketball growing up playing it a lot more than I did. I feel as though with Jaden Walker back, playing healthy, playing more minutes, with Sierra Malonga playing more, that this team really has finally found eight or nine guys who can consistently play 10-plus minutes a game and, and be part of this team night in and night out. I 100% agree, and I think it's been tr- a troubling task all season with BJ being out early in the season when it looked like a oh a 2-0 and start, BJ's playing well, we need him, win some of those games that we're supposed to win, and we just didn't, so it was early injuries that we had to deal with, and now Quentin DeBouge has been out with a hip injury for a while, Jane Walker, Bobby Pettiford was out a little bit earlier in the season. We haven't had Cam Hayes for the full season. He's still adjusting to being in the lineup, and I think he's he's getting there, and now we're seeing that each, each player is finding their role. We're starting to get more of a groove. We're on a two-game win streak. Conference play is starting to fill in for these guys. And like you said, Sierra Malonga being a freshman, Callum Richards being a freshman, need both of them to step up as the big men because Brandon Johnson and Ezra Assar are great, I think, at the four, but I don't think they're true fives, even though college basketball is positionless now. You can argue with me about it if you want, but it, it really is. There's not always the big seven-footer on the court. But depending on your matchup, you need Sierra Malonga or Callum Richards to go in and play a great game defensively. And if they can give you some offense, then it's just a plus. Because Sear Malonga, I believe it was the South Carolina game. He came in and nobody really knew about him too much. And he got a he missed a free throw, got the offensive rebound and slammed it down. And I feel like that's when everybody started to really know his name. And he my friends and I all call him a young Shaq. Even though he doesn't have that size, he just has that mentality and that that aura to him that he can be that dominant. Wow. I like that. A young Shaq. But Dom and his boys have got some confidence in Sierra Malonga. Oh, yeah, I like do. to hear it. That's that's good. So, hey, you we know what? I'll, I'll take him being half as good as Shaq, and, and we'll be set. So. I think he can be like the next the next guy for ECU, like the next big man for ECU, be here the next few years, and 
just improve defensively and then you know maybe be a 10 point per game guy he can get get on the offensive glass he can he can do what he wants Hey, I like it. It's it's hard to find really good seven footers in college football that are not playing at the Power Five level or at the Big East. So it'd be big, and if he plays that well, unfortunately in the portal, who knows if we'll retain him? We can only hope. That'll do it for our first segment. Here we are going to be joined live from Williams Arena, Minji's Coliseum, by Patrick Johnson on the other side of this timeout. You ready for this? Oh, I'm very ready. Okay, ready? You ready? Streaming to the world at 943thegame.com. This is the Patrick Johnson Show. Now in all his glory, here's the P-Man. I'm because the P-Man is going to be back here on his own show. You can call him Screaming A. You can call him Henry Hinton. He's calling into his own show. What's up, P-Man? Who am I, Tim Brando? Yes, you could do that. <laughs> Uh, who's the guy, Clay Travis, used to always call into his own show when he was away. Now I'm doing it for the first time ever in the five-plus years. Wow. The Patrick Johnson Show. I am calling in to the show, not as host, not as contributor, maybe, or as a contributor or as a guest. You I, Look, you want to speak to who I have here right here beside me right now. It's the, the one and only Darren Vaught. Hello, my friend. Uh, hi. You, you just turned an interview of you into an interview of someone else. That is, it's a classic Henry Hinton move where you take the phone and then you're the one talking. To you. Oh, that's my buddy over here. Let me go talk to him. <laughs> yeah, so that's how that that's how that works. All right, Darren. Since you have actually prepared for this game tonight, tell me what to tell me what's at stake here tonight. Um, I, I think a massive turner uh, corner to be turned by the Pirates is it, what's at stake. Got to defend the three point line. Pirates are number 32 in the country. In that regard, USF shoots it pretty well. This is a good team, as we know. Um, no, I just keep defending. We just got to – shots have to fall. Got to make shots. Got to make shots. Got to make shots. It's that simple. Let me tell you about Darren Vaught. I hired him in Raleigh. You right? did? I did not know that. I, I really didn't hear yeah. this story. I did yeah. not know this. I knew. I did not know you had I any prior relationship. I hired him in Raleigh because they needed a good announcer. and They, they, needed, uh, they had me, but they needed a good announcer. So I got Vaught through a connection of a player at William Peake. Okay. Somehow. And then Darren and I worked together. We've served time at Curtis Media Group together. Now, we both got paroled at some point. <laughs> and, then, and, then, um, and then they asked me who would be great here, and I, the, one of the names I rolled out, Darren Vaught. So let's face it, if it were not for me, you'd have no career in this state doing sports. Yeah, I would be a joke, a sham, <laughs> a mockery of the industry. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yep. I don't know. That doesn't sound like thank you to me, Philip. I don't really know. So. <laughs> I don't know. I, I thought it was a good thank you. I thought it was. It was just that's that's how guys in media talk to each other. You know, it's we never give a heartfelt out thank you. That was wonderful. It's always it's always a you know we gotta we gotta do it with a joke. So I, I like it. By the way, my producer's here for tonight. I, I I need to go in a minute because he's very important to this this broadcast. Who's your favorite producer? Who, who's my favorite producer? I would say uh, Will Bailey is my favorite producer. Hey, Will, you cannot go wrong with Will Bailey. Ooh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Oh, there's there's see, you, I just put you in the set. Yeah, that's a good question. I have to think on that one. Okay, so see, that's that's, that's very unfair. Number one, I'm here standing right in front of him. <laughs> And he's on my show, and I'm talking to him, and he's giving me this. It's awful. I hey, remember this, Will. No, no. I, I, I wish I could work with Will Bailey. He is awesome. He, he does a lot for ECU Athletics. On the ESPN side, I'm, I'm sure it is a very smooth broadcast when you do that. 
So, Patrick, let's let's talk a little more about this game. You let Darren talk, but you know this is supposed to be you, and you're just you know taking over as the host and and interviewing. Well, that's the classic Henry Hinton. It is. Well, Henry hey. interviews Henry interviews people when we call him for a guest spot. He goes around. And he says, "Oh, there's my very good friend here, and my very good uh, longtime friend there." And he goes around and interviews. Like mentor, like student. And Patrick, that there you is, go. Henry Hinton is. Where do you mentor. think I learned it from? Exactly. So one thing I was wanting to ask you about, Patrick, is you know this team has struggled with depth in the front court um, throughout majority of the season. I think Sear has stepped up these last two games. Has he done enough in your mind to be a solid rotational piece and potential starter at that five position moving forward where you feel comfortable that this team can meet the goals that they set for themselves this season? Well, yeah, I think absolutely because uh, not only is he seven foot, but he's very athletic. He he belongs out there from an athletic standpoint. And in this league, you need to have uh, long and athletic bigs. You need long and athletic wings, but definitely long and athletic big. It's a lot, what a lot of other teams in the uh, American have. And, uh, I, I, you know, this is not the tallest USF team. Uh, they got uh, Kaysen Pryor, who's playing really, really well, who's 6'10". Uh, then they've got Corey Walker Jr., who's 6'8". But other than that, they're all kind of tall, long guards and wings, save a guy or two. So uh, as far as what you're talking about, though, yeah, because he, he can be a rim protector. He can rebound. He he doesn't take any shots that are just puzzling or out of the uh, out of what they're trying to accomplish offensively. Uh, by the way, my very good friend uh, David Horn is here right now. David Horn, come oh, over here. Oh, we gotta here. have him on. The greatest right, David voice in radio, uh, David Horn. David Horn also, much like Darren Vaught and myself, uh, served time at Curtis Media before he was paroled. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, what are you doing here tonight? You're no longer producing the games on the network. What, you begin to work with me every Monday on the coaches show. How is that for you? Oh, it's like the highlight of my week every Monday night. He's not lying. Yeah, it is. It is. No, I'm here working for the other side tonight. Uh, you usually would get our producers to do this, but now that you're did, not did doing you it, fire, wait, David? Did you fire Ben? Ben used to do that job when South Florida came here. Did you fire yeah. my boy Ben, Baby Byram? Well, kinda. Since I'm available now, you know. Uh, I, I, yeah, I did. I'm sorry. David's going to take that money. What are you yeah, talking about? I, I know. I'm all I, look, David and you know Henry and I have always said this. There's no voice in radio like David Horn. So I appreciate oh, everything he does. But to fire B-Baby Ben Byram might be a cardinal sin. I know. Yeah. There's, there's, there's a, a dark spot on my record right there. There is. I didn't the know you had a dark side. Uh, he does not. He, does, he has a very dark past, actually. <laughs> uh, let the record show he is not wearing... Uh, Eddie Green tonight for no, South Florida. I went generic. Yeah, like a good producer would. I there think. you go. Like a good, like a good gun for hire would. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I go where the money is. Yeah, there you go. That's what I do, and you see how far it's gotten me. Uh, I'm hoping Cy Seymour will come over here, but he's too busy talking to other people. Right? Oh, well, it, it, oh, that conversation is going to last people. 20 minutes, so we're not getting Cy oh, unfortunately. Yeah, probably not. So, so you know, probably Patrick. Not. When you're talking about the bigs, you mentioned Pryor. You know, he's he's getting six point eight rebounds a game. And then on the other side of the things, you got Brandon Johnson, who's I think third in the con- in the conference in rebounds per game right now. Um, do you th- see from your research, you've done more research on this game than I have, are these two gonna guard each other? Because I think this game could be won and lost in the rebounding battle between Johnson and Pryor. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh that would probably be it or Ezra. Uh, probably would be matched up. I mean, Pryor's going to be a tough cover tonight. And what's wild is what he's doing offensively 
over uh, a stretch. Now, he scored 12 points in a game in which his teammates hit 18 three-point shots the other day. But if you look at what Pryor is doing right now, uh, it's, it's pretty pretty remarkable. I mean, before that, he's had four games consecutively where he had scored uh, 20 or more points. And uh, that's a pretty pretty punching run there uh, that he that he had. This is also a USF Bulls team, Darren. What's remarkable, uh, Darren, uh, Philip? What's remarkable about them is, uh, you know, here they are, a half game out of first place, a game out in the win column, and they have eight new players or eight transfers in. Not all new transfers, but eight new trans or eight transfers in in total in the program. And I'll tell you this, Amir. Abdur Rahim has done a fantastic job at South Florida merging them together and blending them together. Yeah, and I think one of the things, obviously he's a great basketball mind to do what he did to turn that Kennesaw State team around, going just 1-28 in his first year, and then in his fourth year, he's got them in the NCAA tournament. I believe they were a 14 seed uh, last year, so it wasn't like they were even a bottom-of-the-barrel team. But correct me if I'm wrong, some of these transfers are guys from Kennesaw State, and I think a lot of that doesn't just speak to his basketball knowledge, but his ability to lead young men, to coach the game, and to have that brotherhood because it is really surprising to see this South Florida team at 13-8 and eight and 6-1 and or six and one in league play with wins over Florida State and number 10 Memphis. Yeah, you've got uh, three players who were part of the Owls last year. Uh, Selton Miguel, who's their leading scorer, is one of them, Chris Blood, who's their second leading scorer and a great shooter all-conference a year ago in the Atlantic Sun at Kennesaw is one of them, and then uh, the other is uh, Brandon Stroud, who's uh, kind of a uh, an undersized power forward of, in a sense, senior out of Atlanta, but he's a veteran guy, defensive player of the year last year in the Atlantic Sun with Kennesaw. So uh, these guys kind of know their role, and when we talked uh, with uh, Coach Abdur Rahim yesterday, he really likes the way that they are sharing the basketball now, and they seem to have grasped the offense look no further than the 18 threes they made against UTSA Saturday. All right, one slightly off-topic question. Does Mike Oresco... You know how I like off-topic. Yeah, does Mike Oresco, is his favorite animal the owl? Because now the only... Owl in all of Division One athletics. No, no, but no. Listen, he went out and got every owl in Division One athletics, except for Kennesaw State. And here we are talking about the South Florida Bulls, which are pretty much last year's Kennesaw State team. And you got FAU and Rice and Temple. We're just all the owls are here in the American. I don't think he gives a hoot what you think. <laughs> yeah. See what I did there? Yeah, that was good. I wish Dom had the 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 drums and the cymbal ready because that was good. Yeah. So, well, um, thank you. Yeah, well, Patrick, I know you got it going, so we'll get one more and then and then let you go. I know you got your production meetings, but this Bulls team—they really do a wonderful job taking care of the basketball and turning it over about yep. ten times a game. Same thing as the Pirates. What do the Pirates have to do tonight to force right. early live ball turnovers here, and get Cy. under the Bulls? Sky? Oh, we got okay, good. That's this here, is better. I'm, I'm glad we're going to get side. No, we're going to get side. You're going to get. I'm going to get. We get a real expert to tell you what it takes tonight for both teams. Here you go. Yeah, it's going to take really defend the three, defend the three against South Florida. They're one of the best three point shooting teams in the in the country and in the league. So we got to really defend the three ball. The other thing you got to you got to hit the offensive glass. You got to protect the basketball, and ECU has to shoot it better. They, if they shoot it well, they've got a shot. 
But it's, it, this could be a really good ball game for ECU. It's a pivotal game. It is. Will Bailey refused to ask this question, okay. answer this question, but who's your favorite announcer? Son? Oh, there's no doubt. Patrick Johnson. There you go. Right there. there that's, all, go. that's all that Bailey had to say, but he wouldn't even say that. I mean, they are one of them. Look, if, if, all Bailey, the if Bailey wasn't tonight, so laid back – he could be a politician because he always knows how to answer the question just the right way. But he's not mean enough. He's got too good of a smile, and like he would, he wouldn't survive. He's got as a, a winning politician. smile. Yeah, he does. he's got the winning smile, which I guess could help him as a politician. But he just, I don't know. I don't think he's quite mean enough. Well, he's to be lost a my vote as of tonight. If he ever runs for anything, so <laughs> <laughs> dang. Well, hey, but you know what? Like I said, he <laughs> yeah, knows how to exactly. answer the questions. He knows how to do the political answer and and not tick yeah. anybody off too bad. All right. Well, well, go ahead, Patrick. Well, I was just going to say he's—he does a fantastic job. Though I, I, I've said this to him before, and I've said it on uh, the show. We uh, talk to other announcers around the country. They will, uh, you know, and other production people—they—they they rave at the production value of our ESPN Plus here locally that's put on and produced. It's, it's really very good. And uh, a lot of that credit to I agree with Cy. Uh, look, a number for you, Pilk. They hit 18 threes last time. Uh, the Bulls are shooting 35% from three as a team. Pirates are 32nd in the nation in three-point shot defense. So they're going to have to be aggressive and run South Florida off the line tonight to have a shot. And I mentioned this to Dom earlier. The great thing, I think, that I feel more confident we can win this game than I would have two weeks ago because of what you were talking about earlier, Sierra Malonga being that rim protector. When we do run them off the three-point line, we now have someone yeah. to stop them in the By lane. the way, who's this Dom you speak of? Who is this? Dom. It's Dom. Who? Dom no. Kasaki. You love yelling at me. How do you not remember me? <laughs> <laughs> you walked into that one. Yeah, I did. I did walk right into that one. All right, great job, boys. Hey, thanks for calling in, board. Yep, see you tonight. There he goes, the P-Man pulling his full-on best Henry Hinton, I wouldn't say impression because he didn't do the voice, but his uh, Henry Hinton style is what it was. Getting guests as he calls into his own show. But hey, like I said, like mentor, like uh, mentee, if that's a word. I don't know, like like student. But anyways, on the other side, we are going to talk about some NFL football. We're going to transition from pirate basketball to that. But first, the previously mentioned Dom Kosolke, who Patrick somehow doesn't know, will give you a 94-3 The Game Sports Flash update. ECU basketball tonight versus South Florida Bulls. ECU is coming off an overtime win in a thriller versus Temple. Pre-game at 6.30 on 94.3 The Game and tip-off at 7 at Minji's Coliseum. LeBron James is partnering with DraftKings and will give his picks for NFL games next season. After the devastating Ravens loss to the Chiefs, they lose their defensive coordinator Mike McDonald to the Seahawks as their next head coach. McDonald becomes the youngest head coach in the NFL. Baseball season is among us and the Orioles have already made a massive move. The Angelos family has agreed to sell the Baltimore Orioles for $1.725 billion by billionaires David Rubenstein and Mike Arrighetti. That'll do it for your sports update. Let's send it to a quick break, and we'll be right back here on 94.3 The Game. Taking the rage out of your drive home. You just cut me off! But it's no big deal. Patrick Johnson on 94.3 The Game and the new IBX Media app. 
Yeah, the rage might be out of my drive home, but Dom, you want to see some road rage? Drive with Michael to a remote. He gets mad at stoplights for turning red. Only one I've went to is Great Harvest, so I, no, I didn't close. have to ride with anyone. Yeah, he's not a crazy driver, but when he's when he's worried about a remote, man, uh, tomorrow morning's going to be fun. Well, I'm going to be here. It's going to be fun for me too. Just yeah, different different version of fun. Tune in to talk of the town tomorrow morning. They will be in Raleigh. I should have more background, so I knew how to promote it. But hey, you know the. Henry will be in Raleigh tomorrow. I think he's got some political stuff coming on. So that'll be tomorrow at 7 a.m. on our sister station, 1037. And Michael Busimi and I will be there on site. Obviously, the P-Man will be back at his home studio giving us a sports and news update. All righty, Dom. Not saying we won't talk any more pirate basketball, but this is your opportunity because I went on my rant Monday. I wanted you to get your opportunity to talk NFL playoffs. Obviously, the NFC and AFC title games were played over this past weekend. It all started with the AFC game at 3 o'clock with the Kansas City Chiefs defeating the Baltimore Ravens. This will be the fourth time the Chiefs have made it to the Super Bowl here in the Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes era and their sixth overall Super Bowl appearance. What were your thoughts on this game? And uh, if you want to hit on it, what happened before the game? Well, it really, it kills me to say it because I used, I, I told you myself, I used to cheer for Mahomes and Kelsey and the Chiefs because they seem like the underdog story they haven't. You know, Mahomes came in after Alex Smith, and he was a new and upcoming guy, and man, he is talented. You love to watch him. He was fun to watch. Kelsey was his number one guy. But it just seems like they've become more diva, divas, and I don't, I'm don't. i not saying it has anything to do with Taylor Swift or the publicity they're getting, but I don't know. You said it could be with winning. I don't know what it is exactly, but it they're not as as cool to me cheering for them anymore so I was on the Raven side as I think most people were and four years ago it was kind of the opposite everyone was cheering for the Chiefs and everyone was going against you know Brady and the Super Bowl and everything like that but now yeah I was cheering for the Ravens and they they let us down the defense came up big in multiple possessions only letting Mahomes and the Chiefs score 17 and I don't can we can talk back and forth? I don't need to only rant. I want to hear. Yeah. What do you think about Lamar? Do you think Lamar? Do you think? I don't think it was totally Lamar's fault. I I think people are going to hate on Lamar, but I, I and I don't think it was his best game ever. But I don't think it was totally on Lamar. Yeah, I mean, two seventy two, a touchdown, a pick. Uh, he, that pick was bad. That, that throw I will put on him. But no, I mean, that if Zay bad. Flowers doesn't fumble the ball in the one-yard line, Zay Flowers doesn't get an unsportsmanlike conduct for taunting, um, if the play caller runs the ball more than eight times, a lot of things go different. Um, I didn't think Lamar played bad. Like I said, he didn't look like a star, but, I mean, you can't play at a superstar level every game. And, you know, you get, when you're as good as the Ravens are, the number one seed, you're there because... You have a quarterback that has the ability to play at a superstar level, but you have a team that can win when he just plays like a solid quarterback. He played like a solid quarterback for most of the game with the team, the offense, the offense. So I don't want to put any blame on the defense really for this one. Did not pull through when they needed to. Yeah, I, I agree too, and I I agree with the Zay Flowers fumble, and he, he had that taunting call right before, which he never – that fumble – 
you know, it's it's all he say, she say, or whatever term you want to say. That if he didn't do that that taunting, then that fumble wouldn't have happened. A different play would have been called. They would have been closer to the end zone because uh, that taunting. I didn't realize it was a 15 yard penalty. They moved all the way back to the 20, 25 yard line. I was like, man, I thought they were 100% going to score. And you see Zay Flowers a couple plays later diving into the end zone. I'm like, oh, my gosh, let's go. They're going to score. And then I, I see it come out. I'm like, please don't be that touchback rule. Please just don't happen in the playoffs because I, I saw it happen to my Vikings earlier in the season. I I don't know if I like the rule or not. It's just, it, it just sucks when it happens to your team. And you're cheering against against the Chiefs. They just seem like the – the almighty team that can't lose in the playoffs anymore, and it just didn't go right for the Ravens. Lamar just didn't seem as aggressive running the ball as he had been in past seasons. Even this year, he didn't seem to be the strictly running quarterback that people used to call him. And I, I think it's for a good reason to stay healthy because he has had slight injury concerns if he's running the ball too much. You know, he had that really cool play of catching his own pass, and I thought the whole momentum was going to switch at that point after he caught his own pass, moved 13 yards. But it didn't really come to anything. But it it was close towards the end. It was a fun game to watch. I think that fumble just was the turning point, and you pretty much knew at that point it was over. Yeah, you did. And, you know, you mentioned the wacky rule, which I actually I want to talk about that because we have a little time. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, this one wasn't the weird rule, right? Didn't the Chiefs actually recover that one in the end zone, though? I I do think you're right. Now, yeah. that, now that I'm thinking about it, I do – well, I thought they called – I think they recovered. I think that now Pacheco the week before in Buffalo, the only drive that the Chiefs didn't score on other than the one that ended each half, that was the weird rule where he fumbled it through the I, end zone. I don't mean to correct you, but I believe that was Miko Hardman. Oh, was it Miko? It was, okay. was Miko. But yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. It was um, – it You don't mean to correct me. If I'm wrong, correct me. Yeah. I don't mean to correct you. Sound very proper. Too proper. Yeah, it was it was Miko, and you're right. It was uh, Zay Flowers wasn't the th- touchback rule. He just fumbled it one yard, it diving into the end zone. And you know, I I really like this rookie wide receiver class. I, I do think there were some some good guys out of it. Obviously, Puka later and my Jordan Addison and Zay Flowers all fighting for who was the best guy. And both Flowers and Puka played great in the playoffs. And Zay Flowers just made that critical mistake, and and the taunting was a mistake. You know whether you want to say it wasn't taunting or not. Yeah, you can't do that in that scenario. I mean, you just can't. You've got to know what's on the like. You cannot leave it in the hands of the officials, especially against the Chiefs. Like, yeah, you, you have to know that's going to be called. And I, I want to say like it wasn't taunting, but I mean, he got up, pushed him down, literally, and, and stepped stepped in front of his face, like talked to him, pushed him down, put the football in front of his face, and it. I, I didn't want it to be a taunting call, and people on Twitter and everywhere wanted to say it wasn't a taunting call, but it was, and it wasn't the Chiefs just getting the, the ref's best call, not saying that that didn't happen other times, but that, that was a taunting call, and it it obviously killed the momentum not as much as the fumble did, but the the game was was over after that fumble. Yeah, I, I agree with the officials. I, I think it was taunting. I think that's the textbook definition of taunting. But we could sit here and go on and on all day about this game. Um, we could do a whole show on this game. But I do want your opinion on the Detroit Lions and the San Francisco 49ers. San Fran heading to their eighth 
Super Bowl. They're third in the last 29 years. In the first 29 Super Bowls, they attended five. They went 5-0. and oh. Here in the back half of the Super Bowl era, they have been to two. They are 0-2. They're going to try and make it 1-2 and two, uh, in a couple weeks, but they have the great comeback against the Detroit Lions. They were down 24-7 at halftime. However, I personally, Dom, did not feel like it was a 24-7 game. Like The score was more lopsided than the product had been on the field. There was just the pick. And then the missed field goal that by San Francisco that seemed to kind of portray the Lions forwards. And I know Lions fans are going to say, well, you still can't blow a 17-point lead. No, you're right. But it felt like a dec- close to even first half. I think it did too. And I think it's more, in my opinion, the fact that the 49ers, I believe, were just the better team. In They were the all-around better team. So you felt like even the Lions playing a little bit better at the start. The 49ers were always going to be in the game. But a 17-point lead, you can't blow that. That's a devastating way to lose. And as as a Vikings fan, uh, a lot of people like the good story, but I, I was thrilled that they lost the way they did. I, I felt like they were very dirty towards the end of the season. Dan Campbell came from the Bounty Gate and the Saints. I'm not saying he did anything. Yeah, not, I'm not saying he told any players to do anything, but I'm not a big fan of that secondary, the Lions. And yeah, I think you saw most people did C.J. Garner-Johnson waving to the crowd when they're up 27. Man, that game is not over. You know that. You can't be doing that. So I think that was a mistake, not that karma came back, and that's the reason they lost is because he waved at the crowd. But I, I think Brock Purdy and the 49ers, just the whole the defense came together, a, a massive play that – I do like Brock Purdy, but he underthrew or overthrew Ayuk, and it went right off the helmet of a secondary player of the Lions and right into Ayuk's hands. And I mean, if they get that pick there up 17 with eight minutes left in the third quarter, Lions can really control more of that game. But then the 49ers score, and at that point, it's more of a game. Right after that, they fumble directly on the first snap, and you're like, oh, yeah, the 49ers are back in this game. This is going to be a fun one. I, I didn't think the Lions' offense would decimate like it did because it looked so good in the first half and just all season with Ben Johnson their offense has been their their best weapon their secondary has been you know not good at all uh, you know bottom of the league run defense was actually very good though so it was kind of a, a pick your poison you know teams would try to throw it because the run game wasn't working their run defense was very good but if you have McCaffrey then you can't really rely on that because McCaffrey is it doesn't matter what run defense you have. He's going to beat your run defense. Yeah. I, I just think the 49ers, they were the better team. I, I was cheering for them. Maybe I'm biased. I, I liked the 49ers throughout the game. I, I had faith that they would come back, and I'm very happy that Brock Purdy and everybody came together and came back. And I, do, I will say, last thing, that Dan Campbell, I, I do like that he's aggressive. I don't like a conservative play caller. But it's the playoffs. You got to take your points. Sometimes it would have been. I think it would have been a little different. He said he doesn't regret his decision. I had been saying it to my friends all season long. Maybe I was a hater. I think that his decisions to go on fourth down will bite them in you know where at some point, and it did. Yeah, no, it definitely did. I thought they should have kicked it there. And um, real quick, because we're running short on time, I'm going to get to one thing to you. I personally didn't think the Lions' offense looked that much worse as from an execution standpoint in the second half. I think what happened was, 
East Carolina's receivers' hands. East Carolina got put on the Lions' wide receivers because they had a case of the drops. Oh, okay. And that's really what it looked like. It looked like ECU this year with all the drops. But you know, we mentioned the one pass, or you mentioned it that. You know, the Niners got lucky. I'm going to give you quick. We got about a minute, so we need to get our next break in. I'm going to go for 30. I'm going to give you 30. I firmly believe anybody who is saying Brock Purdy is a game-managing quarterback is crazy. He plays like a star. He made the plays with his legs. He can scramble outside the pocket. He can put the ball in tight windows. Yeah, play in and play out, he may look like a game manager, but I personally think if you had never, if you understood football, but you had never heard of Tom Brady and you watched him play, he gave off game manager vibe. Yes, now he would make the heroic plays at the best times, but he was always a game manager style with a superstar result, and that's what made him so great. He didn't even have to look good when he did it. And not saying Brock Purdy is, is Tom Brady, but you can, don't have to make, have the superstar style about you all time in the flair to be a superstar quarterback is my point. Yeah, I agree. I don't think he's a game manager. I think people are crazy. I mean, he was Mr. Irrelevant. You can't hate. I, I don't understand. I feel like he's a feel-good story. He's fun to watch. He he made the plays with his legs. He he did everything he needed to do. And a quarterback's going to make those mistakes. He's going to throw some bad balls sometimes, just like Lamar Jackson, who, you know, MVP-type player, multiple years, makes those plays sometimes. Even Mahomes throws interceptions. Everybody throws interceptions. He might make a boneheaded play here and there, and he was put in a good system, but I do think he makes the correct plays. He sits in the pocket well. He he gets out of the pocket when he needs to, and he can move with his legs if he really wants to. I know it's more of his last resort because he has so many weapons, but I love him as a player, and I don't think he's a game manager. All right, that will wrap it up for our third segment, and then we will be right back on the other side of this timeout to wrap up your Wednesday edition of The Patrick Johnson Show. And now, the stunning conclusion of the show. It's the P-Man here on 94.3 The Game. to our final segment here on the Patrick Johnson Show this Wednesday edition. P-Man is over at Woodside Williams Arena, Minji's Coliseum for the game tonight between the East Carolina Pirates and the South Florida Bulls. You can hear coverage of that game right here on 94.3. The game starting at 6.30 with Darren Vaught, Michael Perry, and the studio analyst and host, Joe Sampson, Joey Football finding his inner Joey basketball tonight. The Pirates come into this one 11-10 on a two-game win streak and 4-4 four and four in league play. The South Florida Bulls, under their first-year head coach, they're 13-8, 6-1 in league play, looking to go back on tide top of the conference with FAU and Charlotte, who they're only a half game behind. If they can get a win tonight, they've won five in a row. They've won 11 of their last 12. That includes a win at number 10 Memphis inside the FedEx Forum, as well as a win over in-state opponent, Florida State, who, yeah, they're not the cream of the crop in the ACC, but still a big Power 5 win for the Bulls. Well, Dom, thank you for uh, all your help today. We really enjoyed having you on the show. Thanks for having me. It's been fun being back on some sports talk. 
That was the voice of Dom Kosolke. We thank him for being our producer today on side the glass or on the other side of the glass. We thank the P Man for letting us fill in for him as well as calling into the show and all his slew of guests that he was able to incorporate during his ten or so minute segment. So thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. Tune back in tomorrow, ten a.m. on the video side. Patrick will be joined by Brian Mole to preview the weekend in golf as well as the preview of the weekend in college basketball as Duke and Carolina come up and they'll also recap tonight's contest 5 o'clock on the radio side. Have a great rest of your evening, Pirate Nation. Texas Being Roadhouse tax credits are back. Get a 30% tax credit up to $2,000 off your new Mitsubishi electric heat pump install. Or their Let Comfort Master